Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion. We're so glad you have joined us for this audio sermon. You can find a full archive of sermons on our website, holycommunion.net. This unconventional sermon was preached by me, the Reverend Mike Angel, with storytellers Debbie Nelson-Link, Karen Payne, and Emily Walker-Cornetta on the sixth Sunday of Easter, Mother's Day. 2021. We hear the word from Jesus today, remain in my love. Often that's translated, abide in my love. Mother's Day is a day where we think about the nature of love, what it means to love one another, what it means to be loved, You heard in the prayer at the beginning of our service uh, that difficult wrestling that some of us have around mothers and motherhood. It's not always the cleanest concept. And I think our prayers are better if they're real. If the messiness of parenthood, of motherhood, is able to come into our prayers the difficulties some of us face with that very concept of nurture and care and love. I have to admit, as a new-ish parent, I've been thinking a lot about what Mother's Day means and what it doesn't. My son is being raised by two fathers. What does Mother's Day mean for him? I think it has meaning. But after this year, when we blessed and brought into our life this icon mama behind me, this image of George Floyd and his mother, which is also an image of Jesus and Mary, Jesus' mother, I've been thinking about what motherhood means. And what it means to be called to a mothering, nurturing love. So today, I want to invite you to abide in love, to remain in love, and to listen to three mothers. First, we'll hear from Debbie Nelson-Link, a sometimes worshiper with us, longtime member of Christchurch Cathedral downtown. Debbie's a storyteller. She spent most of her career as a kindergarten teacher. I invited Debbie to share with us about what it was as a black mother to give the talk to her children, what it was for her to go through some of the difficulties of motherhood that comes when you are raising black children in America. I'd invite you to listen to Debbie's story as we broaden our sense of what celebrating motherhood means. My story of parenting actually started when I, as a young married woman, decided there was a good possibility that I would not have children. But the time came when it seemed like the logical thing for my husband and I to do, and we decided the next step is to have children. Before that, I got a message that 
from all around that said, suppose your children are the ones that will make a difference. And with that, we started our journey into parenthood. I have two amazing children. The story that I want to tell about my son actually begins with a story that my father shared with me. When he was a young man growing up in Memphis, Tennessee, he loved to party and dance with his friends. He told a story about one time when he was right off Beale Street and at a party with some friends. And like many young people, his, he was at this party where there was loud music and there was dancing and folks were having a good time. While they're dancing and having a good time, the police come into the establishment where they are and they stop the music. My father was still dancing and cutting up and being with his friends, the same thing any young person would do. The police approached my father and slapped him to the ground. Didn't you hear that music go off? Didn't you, tell, didn't you hear us tell you to stop doing what you were doing? My father drew everything within him not to react, not to get up off the ground. His mother had told him, if you ever counter, encounter the police or authority, you are to do what they ask you to do. It will save your life. My father lay there on the floor, embarrassed and so angry, but he remembered the words of his mother and it saved his life. He would tell that story to my brother and then he would have the talk with my brother. If you're ever in trouble, if authority ever approaches you, if you're stopped by the police, hands on the wheel, speak politely, don't make a fuss, don't make any sudden moves, be calm and you'll get through it. My brother would then go on to tell this story to his two sons and I would go on to tell that story to my son as well and so that he would be safe. So the story is passed down and passed down and passed down from one generation to the next. It's a thing that black mothers have to go through and black parents have to go through in preparing their children to navigate this world. My father was born in 1923. My son was born in 1992. And so it begins with parenthood. And I can remember when my son became social, when both of my kids became social and my son more so, and he went out into the world with his friends and he loved to socialize and he loved parties and he loved to just hang out. And I had the talk with my son about what to do just in case. And I hated that I had to have that talk with him, but I knew that it might save his life one day. The other thing that a parent must go through is waiting for their children to come home. And I can remember when he was old enough in college that he'd come home on break and the rules had changed just a little bit about living at home. And what would happen is he'd come home and the times got later and later. And for a mom, it's not about curfew, not really. 
It's about waiting to hear that lock turn in the door and you know they're safe and you can breathe and sleep one more night. And you go through that constantly. My baby boy is now 6'4 and 29 years old and he travels back and forth. He's in Florida now and he's longing to come home just recently. And I still, as a mom, worry about him traveling through from state to state to state and if he'll get home safely. I would like to believe that my children will be the ones that will make a difference in the world, and I hope they live long enough to do that. I'm grateful to Debbie for being willing to share her story with us. Next, we turn to a longtime member of Holy Communion. As I thought about this year, as our country has wrestled with violence and particularly violence and structural violence against black bodies, against George Floyd, I know that for many of us, the story of the Payne family comes up in this. Karen and her family lost her son to gun violence right here in St. Louis. And as we think about Mother's Day, I thought it would be important to hear from Karen. I know it was for me. As I invite you to hear this story, know that Karen's story is edited together a little bit. Karen would be willing to speak with you if you'd like to talk with her more about this story. But you'll notice this story is woven together a little bit out of a wider conversation. Let's listen to Karen and about her experience of motherhood. So the news media always talks about how many deaths we have, we've had since January, and those numbers just come out. But to me, those numbers aren't just numbers. Those numbers, each one represents a person. And that person is either a brother, sister, a mother, a father. And, and those lives that they touch. So each person represents about, what, thousands of people whose lives have been touched by that one person who has passed away. And so I can no longer look at those numbers that they throw out in, on the news as numbers. Each one is a person. And I always think about how many lives they've all touched. Bryant is always going to be a part of our family, and he's always a part of my life. I think of him every day. And when we travel or whenever I see a coin on the ground, I always pick it up because that lets me know that Brian is right there with us. When we've traveled to Europe, when we traveled to South America, when we went to Hawaii just past couple of weeks ago, I found coins in every spot in every country that we visited and I knew that Bryant was right there with us. I thought I knew every thing about his life but I, I didn't. He was a rapper. He, he actually had a, a CD that he made and I, I carry that around. We also have 
lyrics and, and notes and, and papers where he wrote lyrics on these white sheets of paper. I haven't had a chance to, and it's been 11 years, I haven't had a chance to read all of them. I have not. Um, I don't know what I'm waiting for, but those are, that's another untapped space that Brian has been in and I didn't know about. I have to say that Martha Bonds is my, my pillar and my strength, and she's the main reason why I feel like I'm a, a good mother. And she's also laid that foundation of faith and letting the Lord handle any problem that you might have, because if it wasn't for her telling me that and the faith that I have and the faith that she showed me, then I don't think I would have been able to make it once Bryant died. And the, the thing about that is she went through the same thing because she too lost a son. My brother was killed uh, by gun violence and she relied on her faith and I'm just, I was just doing the same thing that she taught me. I remember Pat Reddington being the first person to come to my house with food. And there were many, many tokens of condolences and phone calls and visits. And Father Myers came to the house and we talked and he prayed with me as we were going through those trying times. And also, Brooklyn was about 13 when he passed away. Bryant was 26, and Brooklyn was about 13. And each time the phone rang, Brooklyn's looking in my mouth and looking at me, and I'm saying, we're just holding on, and the Lord is holding us up, and we're leaning on the Lord. And I wanted her to know that I was still strong. I'm still there for her, even though we've already lost, a, a, she lost a sibling and I lost a son. I wanted her to know that I was strong enough and our faith would carry us through and that I would still be able to take care of her. And I think children need that reassurance that you're still okay and they're still going to be okay. And And that you still have the capacity to continue to love and, and take care of what you need to take care of. And that's what I was able to do through my faith, through the support I had from Holy Communion, and from my family. I'm grateful to Karen for being willing to be vulnerable to share a painful story, but also a perspective of hope. Finally, before she left, I asked our seminarian, Emily Walker Cornetta, a different question about motherhood. All year long, we have been talking about what it means to be priests and pastors in these difficult times what it means as white people to live into that identity. 
And I asked Emily before she left us to share a couple of words about what it means to be a mother, a mother of two white children at this time. How to parent white kids after George Floyd's death. I'm going to be honest and say, I don't know. It's a question that keeps me up at night. How do I raise white children that reject the white supremacy that permeates our culture? How do I teach them to resist the demon of whiteness that wants to possess them, that wants to deprive them and others of the dignity of shared humanity? I don't know any proven parenting strategies for this or for just about anything else, honestly. But I know I can't expect my kids to learn what I'm unwilling to live. So I look at myself. And I pray. I pray to God, my mother, for more freedom from the heresy of white supremacy. And I pray for greater allegiance to her child, Jesus, whom the state grabbed and killed. I ask for the world to be reborn, beginning with me. I want to finish today's homily with a moment of gratitude. I am incredibly lucky to be well-loved by an incredible mother. I know that is the case for many of us. And I know that for some of us, motherhood is complicated our sense of what mothering love means is complicated. And in a way, I hope that today complicated it further for you. When Jesus says, remain in my love, abide in my love, I once heard that translated as hang in there with my love. There's a big difference between just hanging on and hanging in there. Nurture and love is big and complex, and we do a disservice when we try to make it simpler. Really, it's a complex thing. And so I give thanks to all of those like Emily and Karen and Debbie and everyone in this congregation who has wrestled with the complexity of nurture, of love, of what it means to be a mother or to give a mothering love and nurture to children, to others. I think we need to broaden our sense of who we care for in this society, to who children belong, so that more of us might be able to abide in that love. So thank you for our speakers today. Thank you for all of those who mother, the biological mothers, the adoptive mothers, and all those who nurture and care, often with too little remark or reward. We give thanks to God. Amen.